Welcome back to the Vine Church podcast. Today, we will be continuing our devotional series, The Gospel According to Zechariah. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at the Vine Church Heart, and we'd love to have you join us over there. Morning to you. Hi there. Good to see you today. So going to read to you from uh, Zechariah chapter 9, starting in verse 9 this morning. And uh, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, O prisoners of hope. Even now, I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow, and I will fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and make you like a warrior's sword. So I mentioned uh, on Tuesday that um, as we read through Zechariah chapter 9, Zechariah is uh, almost like up on the top of a mountain and he's looking out and he's seeing a range of mountains uh, in the forefront and then another range of mountains behind and then another range of mountains behind that. He's kind of looking ahead over the centuries, seeing uh, visions of the future. And last time we saw that the first sort of range of mountains that he looked at, writing as he did in 500 BC, he was looking ahead to around 330 BC, 333 BC, when Alexander the Great, the, the, the genius general, the Greek Macedonian general, swept across the Persian Empire and took it. And he looked ahead in chapters uh, 9 verses 1 to 9 of this um, general who is going to sweep down through down the coast, uh, from the north, uh, down through Tyre and Sidon, down to Palestine, but how he would stop at the gates of Jerusalem and Jerusalem would be preserved and kept secure and safe by God. And that's what happened actually in history 150 years later. Now, as we read on in the passage I've read to you this morning, we see that Zechariah is looking to the next range of mountains And he sees ahead to something that's going to take place in 167 BC. Now, what had happened was Alexander the Great, the Greek general, died unexpectedly. And the Greek uh, empire was then divided into four sections. And one of those was the one that Judah was uh, part of. And the ruler of that was named Antiochus IV Epiphanes. Epiphanes was his chosen nickname, and it meant the shining one, the one who appears. 
he had a bit of a big head and uh, he thought he was very special like Joseph Mourinho and he was the shining one. Uh, people nicknamed him Epimenes instead, which means the mad one. Um, but nevertheless, Antiochus Epiphanes was bad news for the people of God. He was a Hellenizer who wanted to unite his kingdom under, under a new uh, Greek Hellenizing way of thinking and, uh, and religion, if you like, and philosophy. And so he uh, banned uh, the Jewish people from pursuing their faith. And so they were not allowed to observe the Sabbath or circumcision. And the famous and terrible thing that he did, the abominable thing that he did was to sacrifice a pig on the altar in the temple in Jerusalem as an act of sacrilege. And it was took place in 167 uh, B.C., and it was, uh, as Daniel described it, the abomination that causes desolation. Well, God raised up uh, a, a family by the name of the Maccabeans, led by Judas Maccabees, who started as a guerrilla war warfare coming down from the mountains into Jerusalem and eventually uh, dis uh, defeated Antiochus Epiphanes and secured a hundred years of peace for the people of God, where they lived independently in Jerusalem and Judah, uh, free from rule from uh, the um, Antiochus Epiphanes. And in 164 BC, they, they restored the altar and the worship in the temple. Now, this is what uh, is being predicted by Zechariah here. He says in verse 13, I will bend Judah as I bend my bow. I will fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and make you like a warrior's sword. That's exactly what happened. Amazing, isn't it? How he saw ahead what God was going to enable them to do, that the sons of Zion would fight against the sons of Greece and be victorious. But of course, that reign was only temporary and only partial and only superficial. There, as Zachariah is on this mountaintop looking ahead, he sees beyond these ranges of mountains to a amazing mountain, a dominant, grander mountain that is going to tower over every other mountain. And it's the Mount of Calvary the Mount of Crucifixion. And this passage is the most quoted passage in the Old Test in the New Testament, in the Passion Narratives uh, from Zechariah. And we see ahead that Jesus, the Messiah, the King Messiah, is going to come and wage war with his blood, shedding his blood to deal with our ultimate enemy. And we are going to be prisoners of hope who are going to be released because of him. He is Christus Victor. We sometimes think of uh, Jesus as the one who redeems us, a picture from the marketplace of him buying us back. We sometimes think of Jesus as the one who justifies us, a picture from the law courts, one who justifies us. But now we also have a picture, a metaphor of Jesus, who is the victor, the victorious warrior who fights against sin for us and achieves victory in our lives and makes us more than conquerors through his blood. In verse 11, it says that because of the blood of my covenant, 
I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. It's the blood of his covenant. It's by grace. It's not because of us. They had failed time and again, as do we, but by the blood of his covenant and through looking ahead, the shedding of his blood, which is the ultimate fulfillment of his covenant, he will have victory over all our enemies. And so therefore, in verse 10, it says that he will proclaim peace to the nations and his rule will extend from sea to sea. And so this peace is going to be extensive. Now, we may ask, well, how is he going to achieve peace through war? That seems a little bit counterintuitive. But you see, where there is sin, there is war. Where there is sin in our lives, we are at war against God. We do not have peace with God. And when there's sin in our lives and people's lives in the world, there is bitterness, hatred, discord, envy, violence, jealousy, and no peace in the world where there is sin in the world. And therefore, Jesus has to deal with sin in order to bring peace. He has to destroy sin. He has to go to war against sin in order to establish lasting peace. And that's what he does. He is the warrior God who comes out against the war in our lives. He tells us in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20 that God was pleased to have all the fullness of God dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He makes peace through his blood. And we tell, we're told, therefore, in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15, that we can now let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to be peaceful, to peace. We can live at peace with God. We can live at peace with one another now because he has destroyed sin. How does he do it? Well, he does it not in the way that Alexander the Great had established peace, uh, not in the way that the Maccabees had established peace, but in a different way through coming as a king, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey on the fault of a don on the cult of a donkey. The kings rode in on mighty steeds, on horses, signs of their greatness. But Jesus rides in on a donkey, gentle and humble. And that's exactly how he was, not only in his humiliation when he died on the cross, but in his life of humility, both at his birth and right through his life calling fishermen to be his ambassadors, being friends of publicans and sinners, being gentle and lowly in heart, not being like the hypocrites who sound their trumpets and boast about what they're doing, but Jesus shunning advertising, disdaining popularity, humbling himself, uh, was the one who came through his humble obedience to God and through his gentle love of people and through his humiliation on the cross to bring us 
his lasting peace. Hallelujah. We have peace. Isn't that fantastic news? Isn't it great today? You can know that you have peace with God and you can live at peace with one another because of what he has done and he will establish this peace from sea to sea. So God bless you and have a peaceful day today. Let me pray. Lord, we pray for that, that we would know that peace in our lives today, that even in the turmoil and in the waves, we thank you that in heaven, the sea is like glass because, Lord, you bring peace. Though there's turmoil all around, from your perspective, it's a sea of glass. There is utter peace where you reign. And so may we know that incredible peace that passes understanding in our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.